Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, a podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Today's topic, Batman and Robin, the most infamous comic book movie of all time. Directed by Joel Schumacher and written by Akiva Goldsman, it stars George Clooney replacing Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne Batman, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Victor Freeze, Mr. Freeze, and Chris O'Donnell reprising his role as Dick Grayson Robin, alongside Uma Thurman, Alicia Silverstone, Michael Goh, Pat Hingle, and Elle McPherson. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yes, we will. Um, this is, like you said, the infamous movie, uh, the movie that killed the franchise in terms of DC superhero movies at the time. Uh, to hear uh, the directors of Superman Lives tell it, this literally killed their film. <laughs> That's, That's why we didn't right. get a Superman movie in the 90s with Nicolas Cage. And that was Tim Burton directing a script by Kevin Smith. Yeah. Um, the movie didn't happen. And we didn't see Batman again on the big screen for eight years, not until Chris Nolan's Batman Begins. So this yeah, character um, was a big moneymaker for Warner Brothers. And you know what? Even this movie, now, whatever your feelings are on this, and I guess I'm going to find out, Jay, but whatever your feelings <laughs> are on this movie, it had a budget of $160 million, box office $238.2 million. So... It wasn't necessarily a box office failure, but compared to previous Batman movies, going back to Michael Keaton, Batman 89, this movie wasn't quite where it wasn't performing as well as Warner Brothers wanted. No, and the rule of thumb is always is whatever the budget of the film was, double it to account for marketing and then if that's what you have to make before it's considered a success for the studio and at 238 million uh gross that's not enough oh, on okay, 160 million. Okay, uh, that's that's the way the hollywood uh accounting works and a big thing is they spent too much on this film. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself got paid, I think it was 50 million for this film, yes. like a third of the budget on just one actor. And mm. you were never going to recover uh, something like that. I mean, it would need to have been terminated too, <laughs> to, to uh, win back its money. Uh, these, and the big thing, yeah. Th- these movies though, like it's, it's all about the villains and behind the villains, big stars. These films have always been that. They've always been yeah. more about the villains than Batman. Going back to Jack Nicholson in 89, Diane DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer in Returns. I recently did a review of Batman Forever. We've got Jim Carrey, Tommy Lee Jones, and this one, we've got even more. Like, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. but then Uma Thurman. Huge cast. Yeah, and it's it's probably too big. Um, this is this is the reason why when Marvel launched their own universe uh, cinematically, they they put these movies like on a board and were like, what did they do wrong? Well, they spent 
three quarters of their budget on just actors. We can't be doing that. You know, there's there's one thing to be said that you like if you look at the first phase of Marvel, other than Robert Downey Jr., um, who at the time was cheap because he'd had some personal strife and no one wanted and he was expensive to insure for a film. Um they didn't have big name actors, not as your your superhero, your protagonist. You may have gotten a name like uh, Jeff Bridges to be the villain uh, and things like that. But and you know um, Anthony Hopkins for Thor as Odin. But your all your heroes were up and comers that they could get at a much cheaper rate. They could lock into a long contract and save. So they could spend the rest of the budget on the actual film, not just the uh, not just the cast. And the other big thing this movie did wrong is, like I said, there's too many people in it. You've got Batman, you've got Robin, you've got Batgirl, you've got Freeze, you've got Poison Ivy, you've got Bane, you've got John Glover like chewing scenery for the <laughs> short time he's in it. You've got Vivica Fox, you've got Elle McPherson. Why are they? It's just too much. Uh, and it's this is what happened with Spider Man 3 as well. In a movie that was only supposed to have Sandman as the villain, they sh- and uh, Green Goblin, uh, two played by Harry Osborne, you had they shoehorned in Venom, the studio, because they want new Venom was a popular character and, and it ruined the movie because now you've got to fit in a whole other narrative throughout the whole film because you've got to, whenever you introduce a villain, you're essentially doing an origin movie because you have to do the origin of that person and why Batman has to fight them. And you've got four here. You've got Batgirl, Freeze, Poison Ivy. And yeah, it's just, it, it bloats the movie and saps up the, the pacing it's a uh, which doesn't make for a bad movie um but it does like i said it's a bloat this would have worked far more efficiently if it was just batman versus mr freeze taking heavy inspiration from the heart of ice episode of the animated series that should have been it blown up into an hour and a half and that should have been your film really this movie plays like somebody at Warner Brothers, well, they would have done, watched Batman Forever, and then note for this film, go bigger. And that's exactly yeah. what they did. And I agree. It, it didn't work. It didn't. So I did a full rewatch from Batman to Batman and Robin. And I got as far as Batman Forever. And it had been so long since I'd rewatched that movie. And honestly, I had so much fun. Really, really enjoyed it. And I'm thinking, ah, this is a film that I've watched in the past many times. Always liked it enough. But this viewing, really, really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, well, maybe something in me has changed. So going into Batman and Robin, maybe I'm going to have the same experience. And a couple of minutes in, realized, no, not the case. (laughs) Batman and Robin is as much of a struggle to get through today is when I first watched it at the cinema in 97, and I had a broken arm at the time. (laughs) And I remember sitting there, arm in a sling, looking up at the screen, and just so disappointed. I mean, 
the opening and going up against Mr. Freeze, Batman and Robin clicking the heels, ice skates yeah. pop out the bottom, and straight away you're like, oh, okay, so this is what this is what's happening. This is yeah. gonna be gonna be the tone. But before the movie happens, so Batman Forever came out in nineteen ninety-five, Warner Brothers fast tracked development for Batman and Robin following the box office success of Batman Forever. Schumacher and Goldsman conceived the storyline during pre-production on A Time to a Kill, while Val Kilmer decided not to reprise the role over scheduling conflicts with The Saint. Schumacher had a strong interest in casting William Baldwin in Kilmer's place before George Clooney won the role. Now, there's a few things to unpack there, and I got into it in our Batman Forever episode, but there was some things going on between Kilmer and Schumacher. And at one point, Kilmer reportedly it disappear, and then they find him in a box reading his script, and it was not cooperating. And there was yeah, there was a lot of tension on set. So yes, on one hand, what happened on Batman Forever could have stop these guys getting back together again on this film but the saint which was a big budget version of the roger moore tv series so kilmer was off doing that instead william baldwin i've heard his name previously in line with batman and i think when we did our episode of the shadow we talked about that as well like baldwin seems to be a name that had been thrown around in association with batman George Clooney had just done From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, and he was supposed to be the Green Hornet. Ah, yes. And then dropped out to be Batman. That's right. So we've done so many of these, Jay. When we did our Seth Rogen Green Hornet review, yes, we talked about it there. But Clooney had just done From Dust Till Dawn. And we've heard this story many times about other actors or whether it's Nicholson cast as the Joker, like somebody was tip-acting his face white in a... I think it was a picture from The Shining. Well, what yeah. happened here, Schumacher, he drew a back cowl over Clooney's face, which was a screenshot or from the poster of From Dust Till Dawn. And I thought, you yeah. know what? That guy has a good chin. Let's cast him as Batman. <laughs> and that's essentially Clooney getting cast in this yeah. film and replacing Kilmer. And again, after re-watching Forever recently... It's good, and Kilmer does a good, troubled Bruce Wayne. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see more of that here, and it goes full toy commercial, more camp than what we got in Forever. I mean, it becomes... It becomes something else in this. And it, and again, this movie ends up becoming the lowest grossing live action Batman film to date. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of other things. I've, Dana Gould, a comedian, a famous writer on the early seasons of The Simpsons, uh, actually visited the set of Batman and Robin. And he has a very funny story watching Joel Schumacher direct George Clooney, where he's like, Okay, okay, you're, you're Batman, your parents were shot and murdered, you were vengeance, you were the knight, and I need all of that just communicated with your eyes. 
Okay, George. <laughs> all right, go. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he's like, uh, it turns out that Joel Schumacher is like a really nice guy and like he had a great dinner with him and he's like a really nice person. So he doesn't like talking bad about the director, but he goes like George Clooney. That is, that is not the way to direct Moody, which is what we got with Val Kilmer. He had the darkness and you know, it was more serious and dour. Whereas well, this whole script is full of corny one-liners. I mean, you know, you can turn, you could turn the ice puns of Mr. Freeze into a drinking game and get barely sloshed. 27. That's how many ice puns. I mean, I'm not going to name them all, but that's how yeah. many ice puns are in this movie. I mean, it's, it is ridiculous. Yeah. And this was my first time doing the rewatch for this podcast uh, since I'd seen it in 97 as well when at the cinema and I skipped school with my mate and I paid for my mate to see it as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, I walked out and I was like, should have stayed at school. <laughs> okay. I, I've got, I've got an admission, not this movie, but years later while at college mates and I were going to the movies and we had the choice between two films and I won and I've regret ever since we could have <laughs> either gone to see the born supremacy the yeah. second born movie or Catwoman. That was a oh, mistake. No. Yeah, we did Catwoman. <laughs> and one day, Jay, whether it's you and I or me and another another host, we shall do Catwoman on this very podcast. Okay, so if you're listening to this and it's been a while since you've watched Batman and Robin, I'll remind you of the plot. And it features many characters, as Jay said already. <laughs> This superhero adventure finds Batman and his partner Robin attempting to foil the sinister schemes of a deranged set of new villains, most notably Mr. Freeze, who wants to make Gotham into an Arctic region and the sultry Poison Ivy, a plant-loving femme fatale. As the dynamic duo contends with these bad guys, a third hero, Batgirl, joins the ranks of the city's crime fighters. So yes, this is a packed movie. Mentioned many times, Joel Schumacher, he's back from Batman Forever. And Schumacher, as a director, has made a lot of good films. Anyhow, he has. a personal favourite of mine, and recently watched it for the umpteenth time, Lost Boys. Um, yeah, so many others, Flatliners, going back to Settling Was Fire. Like, this guy knows how to make a good film. He really yeah. does. And it really is like, with his movies and more so this one, he's channeling Batman 66, which works for back then. There's love for the show today. Yeah. But it's not what people wanted for their big budget Batman movie. Yeah. And it was the it was the problem with Forever and this film, um, is Tim Burton wanted to go dark and serious and gothic. And that's what we got with Michael Keaton. Um it wasn't so uh but Schumacher grew up on Corny's Adam West Batman <laughs> and he wanted to bring that back, which wasn't as severe a turn in forever but in this one it's it's on full display to a ridiculous degree um uh, and just some of the strange things like the uh the architecture of gotham city 
does not make sense. Why do they yeah. have well, it's a... giant, yeah, giant sculptures? And but if you, I mean, I always thought that, like in retrospect, thinking back to what Schumacher did in those movies, like whether it's well, yeah, in both movies, Forever and Bobbin, it's the giant sculptures and everything else. But if you go back and watch Burton's Batman, I guess you see it more in Returns. Those giant figures are there as well. So he's only really like building off of what was set up initially, but then he's adding yeah. a lot of neon, and it is—it's a lot more silly. Like it, yeah, it, and like the Batmobile is. is a convertible. Uh, you've got the over-the-top bike uh, for <laughs> for Robin. Which... Oh, it's the worst. So it's the worst Batmobile. It is. Yeah, it's the worst Batmobile, and yeah, it's a one-seater. I yeah. mean, that's Batman saying, Robin, piss off. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, this is our second film together. I need some space. My Batmobile has one seat. You can yeah. use your bike. And that, okay, in Forever, there's a reference to Metropolis when they're talking about the circus, saying it's halfway to Metropolis by now. And I remember yeah. back then being excited. Ah, oh, it's the home of Superman. This movie opens with Robin saying to Batman, I want a car. Chicks dig the car, and Batman replies, "This is why Superman works alone." And I remember the opening of that movie back in '97, like just being so excited, like, "Ah, oh, Batman said Superman," and it yeah. never became anything more than that. But yes, the Batmobile in this film is the worst. The one from yeah. Forever, I do. It's interesting. It's got the green it is glow. Yeah. Um, probably originally they went to H.R. Geiger the guy that did all the designs for Alien and various yeah. other things, and it was just too too out there. So they had to scale yeah. it back, and that's what we ended up getting in forever. But the the one in this movie, as you say, is a convertible. I mean, Batman on the streets of Gotham is a sitting duck. Yeah. It's completely exposed. I mean, it is it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, and we're going from a change of, the the Burton Batmobile and the one from Batman Forever where they're kind of tanky and bulletproof. It's just yeah, it doesn't make sense. And why is Batman in a in the most ostentatious car? It, I mean, it's literally a neon light. How yes. his the bad guys ever not see him coming? But then we mentioned Schumacher Batman sixty six. He had a convertible. I mean, that one had yeah. two seats, but still, I mean, you can, you can see it. Okay, so yeah, George Clooney, Batman. This is Clooney. What had he done? However many years on ER, he just done From Dust Till Dawn, which is a fantastic movie. He didn't have too much at the time, so you can see why Clooney took the part. Big opportunity yeah, for him, exposure and everything else, but... There's no way he could have foreseen the movie turning out being the movie that we got to see. Yeah. Um, what I will say is the Robin costume from this movie is much better. I mean, it's basically just the Nightwing costume, but with red, which is what we got for the new 52 That's rather true. than the black and blue. Um, and it looks great. Um, I mean, it's still the rubber. And if you were to make it today, you'd probably use some... Uh, a less, a more, a heavy-looking fabric, 
but it it still looks best. His his costume's better than Batman's. Yeah, no, he really. But you know, he's still got the nipples though. They've given Robin nipples. Yeah. Batman's got nipples, like he like he had in that, that yeah. last movie. And apparently, the reason behind that is that Schumacher wanted to show off like the male physique and have them to be perceived like gods. And that's yes. why. Yeah, anyway, that's the reason behind that. You mentioned rubber. We know like that's that's how they they made the suits, and I like I can accept that. That you know, that's how they put the movie together, made the suits. But in again, not this movie, but Batman Forever, Nicole Kidman as Chase Meridian, she makes reference to being turned on by black rubber. Yeah. So that's like, oh shit. So in this world, people know that Batman wears black rubber. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be a, yeah, because the Burton movies, it was supposed to be some kind of Kevlar yes. body armor. Like, that's what they say. Whereas, no. yeah, she says, and you're like, like, hence his line. Yeah. Try five minutes to take off. Less to take off. I know. I mean, yeah, there's some good lines in that, but at the same time, it does hurt me a little bit that the lines are coming from Batman. And yeah. again, the, again, let's try and not talk about Batman forever, but the last thing <laughs> I want to say on it is the bit in the apartment where uh, Chase realizes that it's not. Batman she wants it's Bruce Wayne and she turns Batman down and as he's getting ready to leave he stops it's an extreme close up on his face and Batman smiles before leaving yeah. oh I hate it always <laughs> hated it but Robin you're right he does have a better costume in this than the Batman and the design essentially it's Nightwing with a cape yeah um, and an interesting thing with the Batgirl costume is initially it did have a full cow like in the comics, but on wearing it for the first day, when they took it off, it pulled a bunch of hair out of Alicia Silverstone's head because it just got tangled up. So they made the decision at that point to reduce it down to a domino mask like Robin. Um, yeah, and it, she yes. was big off uh, Clueless at the time, so she was, was a big it? name, a big get. So that was, I think, 95, and then she did this in in 97. Changes made to her character. She's no longer the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. She's the niece of Alfred. Yep, and she has a new surname to go with it, Barbara Wilson. Instead so of Barbara think, of Gordon. Yes. This movie, as far as I'm aware, it's the only time that change has been made. But going back to the costume, though, I mean, I, I get it. Like, you, th- There's a logistical reason why they didn't have her in the cowl. We do get it momentarily, but as a kid, like again, watching it in 97, I didn't know that. I didn't know she was getting a hair course and all of that. So it felt yeah. like a little bit of a tease. So they've got the... The costumes but of course this is a toy movie they want to sell more toy so now we need the ice version of the costumes so for the yeah. big battle for the third act they've got the silver added because you know that's what batman needs to wear it's, and it's not even black at that silver point. and blue it's blue yeah so blue and silver and then you see batgirl actually wearing the cowl and it's great and i remember like in 97 watching it and almost as soon as you saw her wearing the cowl she took it off and threw it away i like, Oh shit! Okay, yeah, that's a different approach. Just don't need that. 
but it does <laughs> it does work and even if you look at the the comics today like barbara gordon batgirl and the comics designed by sean gordon murphy she kind of does just have a domino mask but she has the bat ears as well yeah so all wow. these years later they've kind of does something similar in the comics but up until this movie i've not seen batgirl wearing a domino mask no no nor did i um but you know she's it's fine she turns up um alfred's sick and she's aware of it and she's screaming at batman like you're working my uncle uh, my uncle into the grave blah 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 blah. and i'm like uh who are you (laughs) (laughs) oh she's new no yeah yeah yeah. she's a completely new character but i I do get her her concern obviously she doesn't know the history but then with the nolan films we we know who alfred is to bruce wayne and they spend time on that Whereas this is an Alfred that, I mean, he's, he's had, what, three Batman? Yeah. Across four films? So, and he is a good constant. Honestly, Michael Goh as Alfred, like, when I think of Alfred, he's who I think of. So I really do, do like him. But in this, yeah, he's, he's sick, he's dying, and he's got the McGregor syndrome, which is the same thing that's killing... Nora Freeze. Oh, it's Nora Fries, isn't it? It's not Freeze, it's... Yeah, Fries. So he's Mr. Fries, who becomes Mr. Freeze. I think in the opening yeah. I said Mr. Freeze, but yeah. So Nora Fries, see, she's dying of the McGregor syndrome. It's all connected. It has to be. We've only got two hours with this film, so they need yeah. enough connected tissue. Even the creation of Bane isn't really his own character. He's a henchman for Poison Ivy. Yeah, and his creation is by uh, Dr. Jason Woodrow. As a, he, he creates goons and sells them using toxins. Uh, and yeah. he's yeah. over the top and they're in like South America or somewhere for some reason. Uh, and that's all just to get Poison Ivy's origin. Like that's how it, it's crowbarred in. <laughs> it really is. But even his character, Jason Woodrow, like in the comics, he's the Floronic Man who is a Swamp Thing villain. Yeah. So like at least they looked at the comics to, to pick a name, but like, and, and Bane is not the genius uh, no. foil to Batman. He is literally just a goon, a wrestler played by Jeep Swenson. Yeah, British guy. I remember, honestly, when, when this movie was getting ready to come out, I was still living in England at the time, and the movie was everywhere. And why wouldn't it be? Like, you know, the Batman films had been huge, and they were doing, like, interviews on the morning shows before school, teasers, and there was so much in the articles, and I saw a big, an article for this guy. And, yeah, it was, like, it was a massive... It was Batmania, again. Yeah. But everywhere you looked, and it had that really cool logo of the robin symbol and the bat symbol like robin on top and it was red yeah and that was a great great logo they did a really good thing for batman forever as well with the question mark and the bat symbol so the marketing even in this movie was still solid but yeah but when you get to bane i mean it's it's bane 
in name only. I mean, the mask looks like Bane. He's muscular. He's got the venom. But yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, your villains really are Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy, and then Bane is just a henchman. But let's talk Arnie. I mean, isn't yeah. this? We all love Arnie. <laughs> you know, he's like yeah. we grew up watching his movies. Um, yeah. I remember the makeup on him. This for him took like four hours, and it had to be done in the cold because it had it had a tendency to melt and and run. Uh, so it was a very long process to get him into into costume. He shaved his head as well, which you know was the first time I'd ever seen Arnie without the flat top. <laughs> well, that's it. And when he's actually Mister Freeze, it. You can clearly, I mean, come on, it's Arnie. Of course it is. Like, yeah. you know, they're not hiding the facts because they paid all this money for him. They want you to see it's Arnie. But then, yeah. you know, they do the flashback and it's just yeah. Arnie in a lab coat. Yeah. <laughs> That's this like, huge Jack. Yeah, I know. Austrian. It's like, I know. Yeah. It's like, you just still sound like Arnie because, you know. That's what Arnie sounds like. You know, before they, they got in for the film, they did look at other actors. Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins... Patrick Stewart, they wow. were all considered. List. But then when they went to Arnie, as you can imagine, they did a fair amount of rewriting to accommodate his casting. So yeah. they obviously, they put their stock in the big star. And 90s, like, it was, it was huge still. Yeah. Like, it really was like Arnold Schwarzenegger then, you know, we're talking what, five years or six years since Terminator 2 Judgment Day? He'd done True yeah. Lies. Like, he was still like a massive star. So I'm curious, yeah. before when they were looking at those other actors and they did the rewrite to fit Arnie in his style of acting, how different it could have been. Because you're right, the Heart of Ice episode of the animated series is incredible. Even the Sub-Zero movie they did years later, like there's yeah. so much you can do with the character and what we get in this movie, it's it's shocking. I mean, the costume is interesting. It's kind of cool, but yeah. it sounds it's like... It's very cool. <laughs> it is, but it, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well done. It, but it, it, it could have been something so different, but I, well, then again, not so different because it still would have had to have fit this movie you know one of the producers on the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie was asked like if they were going to do a Joker style spotlight on any other bat villain who would you like to do and this guy said Mr. Freeze there's something there the tortured yeah. scientists the dying there really is something there and what we get in this movie it's Arnie, with a yeah, shaved head yeah. and blue skin, with yeah. how many did I say? Twenty-seven ice puns. That's yeah. what we get. And, and um, there's, there's a lot of weird stuff. Like, of course, he has uh, ice skating like goons because ice villain. Uh, he's got. <laughs> sure. it he's really got that tank sense. at the start where he crashes in, and you're like, oh yeah, he's time for his escape. It's a rocket. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that oh, makes man. a lot of sense. Oh, and then Batman and Robin, the heading into outer space, and then they head back down to Earth and they're surfing. They surf. <laughs> Which 
reminded me of the opening of the Power Rangers movie. Like that starts with them sky surfing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, later in the movie, it was a poison ivy. We'll get to Uma Thurman because she's doing her thing in this. But when yeah. you've got Batman and Robin, they've been seduced by poison ivy and they're bidding over her. And then yeah. Batman reveals the back credit card. Apparently, he never leaves the cave without it. And he's got the yeah, back card your, uh... with the Visa sign. <laughs> That was the plug from Visa. That oh. probably netted him a good amount. It's madness, isn't it? But okay, Uma Thurman as Dr. Pamela Isley, also known as Poison Ivy, a crazed botanist who becomes an eco-terrorist after being pushed into vials of chemicals, poisons, and toxins. And you know what? You can clearly see, start to finish, Uma Thurman in this movie is having an absolute blast. She's thoroughly enjoying herself. Her casting, Joel Schumacher saw her on the cover of Vanity Fair and said, that's her. There you go. That's how she she got cast. You know, she's she's in it. She's fun. She's kissing Robin. He's fine. He's got rubber lips. Yeah. It's just, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a conniving... uh... Villainous, she's you know working with Freeze for her own benefit, um, trying to kill his frozen wife in the mean in the uh interim, which <laughs> to was, help push him, yeah. But it was an interesting reveal. She got set up, they re- was it I can't remember Batman or Robin, one of the two recorded her confessing to pull on the plug. That was yeah. a nice little, I mean, you, you've got to look for. Right point. That was <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good. You know how they yeah. tricked her, and then obviously Freeze turned on her. And when they're both locked away in Arkham Asylum, the roommates, and he's going to make her life a a living hell. You know, I mentioned on the Forever episode that film was the first time we got to see Arkham Asylum in live action. Yeah, which is pretty cool, and we get to see it again here. And what we get to see when we see Arkham at around one hour nine minutes in the yeah. evidence room, you see that both the Riddlers and Two Faces outfits can be seen. Yeah, um, that, which is me, interesting. Yeah, well, it is interesting because it makes no sense. We know yeah. at the end of Forever that Nigma's locked up, thinking that he's Batman, because he's now got but, bats on the brain. Yeah. But Two Face is dead. Faces dead. <laughs> so, impaled. why would they need his outfit as evidence at Arkham? Yeah. Makes also, no Arkham went from being like a hospital to a fortress on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that's. Yeah, visually, it looks really, it looks really cool though. Yeah, but yeah, that always irked me, and you just know that someone in the props department thought oh, this will be fun. We've, maybe we could just sort of like just to add to this scene is maybe an Easter egg to fans. We can include yeah. Two Faces outfit, but it it doesn't make sense because that's like saying he's locked up there also, but that changes yeah. the ending of forever yeah yeah it uh it it 
breaks continuity, as we uh, like to say. But again, um, I think it's just a throwaway scene, but it's always stayed with me. Yeah. Uh, one throwaway thing in this movie, and I hate to be such a downer, is Elle McPherson playing, and if I didn't look it up, I would not have known her character's name, Julie Madison, or, or you could just call her the girlfriend. Because <laughs> she has no character in this movie. I think with all the expansion of everyone else, she just got overlooked completely. <laughs> what I didn't know until doing prep for this, to her character, Julie Madison, was first created for the comics in 1939. Wow. So the year that Batman was created, she is best known as Batman Bruce Wayne's first significant love interest. Huh. Man, I did not know that. No, me neither. Like, you know, I've been reading and following Batman like however many years, but yeah, no, I didn't know that either. So that's interesting. She's actually playing an established character or an yeah. original character from the comics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just so strange. Like I feel like she was cast because Batman has a girlfriend, and it's not going to be Poison Ivy, so he needs to have because you know, he's the Bachelor and all that sort of stuff. And he's uh, but they just gave her nothing at all. She's and the other weird thing they did is creating the friction with Batman and Robin. Like, and it's all Batman's fault which is also uncharacteristic where he can be a dick and overbearing, but he's not supposed to be so ridiculously over the top of like, I don't trust you, Dick Grayson. Like that's not a a characteristic I'd associate with Batman of like not trusting the guy he works with. It's not, but in the defense of the movie, Poison Ivy, he's having an influence over them. The making, Decisions not quite in their in their right mind, but you're right though. It does seem uncharacteristically like Batman. So they were falling out. Robin yeah. gets his own signal. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's something that happens, and yeah. yeah, love triangle. That's what you don't necessarily want from a Batman and Robin movie. No, no, especially given the uh, the supposed age difference between. Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. We're talking what a year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in these movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in comics, it's supposed yeah. to be like a good ten years, but know, yeah, yeah, in the movies, it's like yeah. So when when Chris O'Donnell first came on screen as Dick Grayson, you're like, well, he's a grown up. <laughs> yeah, how can he be an orphan? He's a fully grown oh, man. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like he's fine. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, but I get it. Like the I guess with these movies, they couldn't go too young with that character. So they had to age him up a little bit. I mean, think back, like originally, like Batman, 1989, the sequences that you can watch on the Blu-ray and it's got shots of Robin in that movie played by Marlon Wayans. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he was supposed to be cast. Yes. In, um, and were they were going to work towards that? Yes, it was actually going to be in, I think, Batman Returns, but I'm pretty sure it's the first Batman. So when you've got all the balloons with Joker... Like, There's a Flying Grayson's poster? Yes. It was, something was going to happen there, but Marlon yeah. Wayans 
was going to be Robin in those movies, just like Billy Dee Williams, Harvey Dent in that really, first Batman yeah. movie. And then obviously we get Tommy Lee Jones in Forever. But you can see concept art online of Marvel Wentz. So that would have yeah. been a very different thing. But even then, like he wasn't a kid at the time, not really. Maybe no. at the same time, if not a little bit younger than than Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, and and Chris O'Donnell was a known name. Like he had done, you know, uh, Scent of a Woman, and um, a lot of other big. He was a he was a fairly big name at the time. He was an up and comer, and this was also very typical in the nineties. Oh, we need a teenager. Bring me that thirty year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get me that grown up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So I'm not oh. going to hold it against Chris O'Donnell because it was notorious like you know luke perry in 90210 who's like i'm pretty sure he was like nearing 30 when he was originally cast yeah you definitely know, not a 17 year old we recently did a episode all about mighty morphin power rangers yeah and i was looking at the ages for that and from memory the only actor that was in his teens was Austin St. John, who played Jason, the Red Ranger. He was 18. Yeah. The others were in the twenties. Yeah. The oldest Ranger was Billy David Yost as Billy Cranston, the blue Ranger. So yeah, Yeah. it's a thing that's happened for a long time. Like, the screen movies. Like everybody looks older than they're actually supposed to be. They're all high schoolers, but they're older. The, the end of the movie, you've got Alfred. We're going to need a bigger cave because now there's more of them. And I guess they were continuing to have many more adventures, bigger cave. Yeah, yeah or at least they expected to. More heroes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it obviously didn't work out that way how how did alfred know her measurements she accesses that file on the computer and yeah. then he's made a suit for her and she puts it on fits like a glove yeah. perfectly how did he well know? he's been making bat suits for bruce and dick for a few years so you know he just has that eye i guess the eye of a creepy uncle that's yeah. what I'm getting from Alfred in that form fitting butt pants made of rubber. <laughs> you get the gratuitous shot of as they suit up. And that's it, yeah. I mean, we got it in forever. And it took a while yeah. because we had Batman and Robin. We get it yeah. again in this. Takes longer because there's Batman yeah. Robin and Batgirl. You know, I heard that originally oh, what was it? They've swapped the, the titles around. So I've heard at one point the plan for the fourth movie was Batman Forever because it's the fourth yeah. movie. And they did have yeah. a different title for a while for Batman Forever. But then this movie became Batman and Robin because of how popular Robin was in Batman Forever. So I guess that was in the early stages when they were planning what the titles were going to be. Oh, that's the title they were looking at using Batman triumphant. Yeah. They were kind of swapping and changing. So originally 
Yes, they had Batman Forever, Triumphant, and Robin, and they were swapping them around to see what would work work best. Before we talk about what they plan to do after this movie, we've got to talk about the soundtrack, the score. Yeah. Danny Elfman did Batman and Returns, and Elliot Goldenthal did Forever and this movie. Yeah. And he's an Academy Award-winning composer as well for Frida. Um, but most of his fare, I did check his IMDb, is things like SWAT and Demolition Man and more on like the action-y uh, side. So it makes sense to go with him, although I, you know, for continuity's sake, you'd have expected them to go with Danny Elfman. But score-wise, it, it works. It's, it's still a, a good outing. Yes. Um, it's not as iconic as what Danny Elfman had been doing. It's uh, not. What but... Hans Zimmer brought later on. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Hans Zimmer, one yeah. of the best, if not the best composers working today. Yeah. But what Goldenthal brought to Forever in this film, I really like it. I always yeah. have. It's big, swooping, dramatic, and... If you're not going to do what Danny Elfman did, you need to do something different. And he achieved that here. Like, I really, I really like the score. It's, yeah, and I, I really do. With the change in the visuals, his score fits better. Like, you, yes. you couldn't stick with the Danny Elfman score given the new aesthetics of like the neons and the the bright colors and everything else going on. It it would it would be out of pace, out of place. So, he's definitely done a great job. Um, it's just Elsewhere, the movie failed. <laughs> but just like, you know, Forever had... I mean, I did say earlier on, I'd stop mentioning Forever. I shouldn't have said that yeah. because I was clearly <laughs> going to continue to mention Forever. But something... like Okay, so the first Batman film, we had Prince. Yeah. The second movie, Returns, there's one rock song. I can't remember the name of the band, but it's actually... It's at the ball in the film and I believe the band's in the movie but we get yeah. one song and then forever happens and we've got you too seal now you two hold me thrill me kill me they wrote that specifically for batman forever kiss from a rose by seal which is now strongly associated with batman forever he'd actually recorded it for his own album that was released ahead of the movie and then repurposed yeah. it and then intercut footage from the film with his video and there's other songs from forever as well i guess one of the the big ones from batman and robin is the end is the beginning is the end by the smashing pumpkins yeah which that of was course became part of the marketing for Watchmen. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, with that track, Smashing Pumpkins won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance at the 40th Annual Grammy Awards. So the yeah. soundtrack's doing good. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. are liking that. Yeah, it's just... You know, uh, this is something at the time. I'm not sure how uh, they do it a lot less nowadays, but in the 90s, CD sales were so huge. 
they they cottoned on that you could make a lot by having a good soundtrack and they definitely made sure to to put them uh put up the money for this one yeah it's just you know given the success of batman forever you can imagine warner brothers like oh this is a this is an this is an open net no problem and then you know you just you can't just can't pile in that many extra people like if you're going to do a big rewrites looking at the uh, actors they were looking for for mr freeze at straight away ed harris and patrick stewart and those guys that immediately gives you a different tone for the whole film because you wouldn't have all those puns and all that sort of stuff you'd have a a, a more character driven villain i i would wonder if that would have like also affected the tone you went with batman because you can't have him making puns either and like one-liners against such a serious villain. Who knows? I mean, with Forever, there's there's apparently, in fact, not apparently, Warner Brothers have confirmed it. There is a Schumacher cut. Yeah. That's darker. And you can actually see some deleted scenes on YouTube and as special features. Like there's one where Bruce Wayne is confronted by a giant bat in the Rat Cave. Yeah, I remember it's that horrific. scene. But there's so there is enough stuff out there. And it was actually Mark Bernardin from Fatman and Batman with Kevin Smith that was first talking about the Schumacher cut. And then it got picked up in the trades and everyone was reporting on it. It's apparently out there for forever. And after Batman and Robin. Schumacher went to Warner Brothers and what he wanted to do was to do Batman Year One. He wanted to do like an early Batman story, dark and gritty, and they said no. They don't <laughs> go in that direction. But And then eight years later. <laughs> oh, of course, they eventually did it. So Schumacher was right. Yeah. But another direction they were looking to go in. So let's say Batman and Robin was a success. Yeah. One of the names they were looking to use for the fifth Batman film was Batman Unchained. Ah, I think I remember hearing about this. But due to the film's poor reception, Warner Brothers cancelled a sequel, Batman Unchained, and rebooted the film series with Batman Begins, as we said before, in 2005. But as well as that, there was another property they were looking to get off the ground. Chris O'Donnell confirmed in a 2012 interview that a Robin Nightwing spin-off was planned alongside Batman Unchained. However, he reported that plans were scrapped after the poor reception of Batman and Robin. So we'd have had a big screen Nightwing origin movie. Wow. That's they huge. Plans. <laughs> you know, it took, it, it took until the uh, Titans live action series to actually get a Nightwing. <laughs> it took Which was excellent and very, yeah. very well done. But yeah, like, you know, Warner Brothers, they were all in. <laughs> Let's yeah. make more of these movies. And instead, and this is crazy, instead of doing a Robin spin-off, what did we get? Catwoman. Yeah. Oof. How does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, they did a lot of these like strange things at the time, and in that one as well, like Catwoman, basically only in name, because 
the characterization and the, her abilities are that's a completely <laughs> another story. Do you but... know what? Honestly, I have not seen that film in so many years. But as soon as you started talking then and you said Catwoman in name, into my head popped Patience Phillips. That's the <laughs> character's name. So it's not silly yeah. to Kyle. Honestly, that movie is shocking. Your big bad is Sharon Stone. And yeah. she's impervious to pain because she's had that much Botox. She's got no <laughs> feeling in her face. It's, it, is, it is ridiculous. The biggest crime yeah. in that movie, though, and we won't talk about it too much because, again, I do want to get to it at a later episode, but there's that the Smash scene. cutting? Yeah, that, that scene where Patience Basketball? goes, let me say, goes to see that woman, and she's talking about the history of Batwomen, and almost like she's talking about the slayers in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, yeah. one slayer will fall, another will rise, which is talking yeah. about the history of Catwoman going back to ancient Egypt. And she's got all these photos of the previous Catwoman who have fallen over the years who have died. And one yeah. of them is Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Yeah. And I'm like, screw you movie. And that's saying, <laughs> I'm out. So Lady Kyle is dead. And it's actually a photo of Catwoman from Batman Returns. Yeah. And the end of that movie, she's got one life left and she was going to save it for next Christmas. Again. Yeah. Wow. We will, I don't know what more else we'd have to say, <laughs> but we will do an episode all about Catwoman. Bloody hell. So, yes, we could have had a Robin movie where he becomes Nightwing, Chris O'Donnell back in the role, but instead they did that. Okay. Batman and Robin. <laughs> if you're going to rate this movie out of five. No, I'm going to, I'm going to come in probably, I'm going to have to be real harsh, like a one out of five. Um, if you're watching it on your own and you're looking to watch a, a good movie and you put this on, it is not a smart choice. <laughs> However, if you watch it with a couple of friends and some peers, knowing that you're going to get into this because it is, that's how I just watched it with some friends and we just ripped shit the whole time. Um, then it gets up to a two okay. out of five. Well, my apologies to whoever you roped in to watch it. <laughs> as this was my idea. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, this was my first cinematic Batman. This was my yeah. first time seeing Batman on, on the big screen. And yeah, it, it's just, even then, it's, it's not what I wanted from a Batman movie. Batman Forever, at least, it still had an edge to it. I mean, yeah. in hindsight, this is where it was heading, but it wasn't yeah. there yet. It was, it's in between Returns and this movie. But it it is what it is, and I watched it when I was younger. And but it was a struggle. It was a struggle. I mean, I'm looking. Yeah. I'm looking at my desk here, and I do have the George Clooney Batman pop. I yeah. do have that. I'm going to come in same same as you. Uh, uh, two out of five. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two out of five. I can't really give it any more than that. 
Well, that's it for our episode all about Batman and Robin. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic from the upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And as always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>